Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the Seahawks draft is in the books. With their first round pick, they selected Jordan Brooks, a linebacker out of Texas Tech. And here to break down that first pick is Sam Gold. He joined me for the pick-by-pick draft coverage as we talked about tight end Colby Parkinson. And now he's back to talk about Jordan Brooks and his latest video up at fieldgoals.com. Welcome back to the show, Sam. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I'm pretty excited to talk about this draft class because now that I see that Hayden Winks of Roto World has given this draft class an F, uh, it's it's been a good eight years since the Seahawks have been getting failing draft grades. So, And good things have happened in the past. Yeah, I know. It's, especially when you look back at some of those picks from, what was it, the famous 2012 draft right. where... I got like an F, then it was like Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, and a couple other guys yeah, that preserving. played for a number of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are a few guys. Yeah, I feel like that's the best part about this year is that, I mean, it's all guesswork. It's all a projected board, and you know, you, you think you think you understand what how the teams are going to do, but these players are, are so volatile. Like, it's just, it's so hard to figure out where they're actually going to end up in the pros. Well, and a big part of the reason for some of the low draft grades is because so many of these players have kind of a perceived value going into the draft and a guy like Jordan Brooks was talked about as maybe a late second round, early third round type player. And so the fact that the Seahawks picked him up in the first that goes into kind of that value projection. And I don't necessarily want to get into the grade so much, but I do want to talk about why the Seahawks would have taken a guy like Brooks with their first pick. And with it being in the first round, we know they tried to trade out. They had something lined up with Green Bay but uh, they end up staying put and taking the guy that maybe they would have taken anyway. Maybe he would have gone off the board to the Ravens who picked at linebacker right behind him. The main thing that I want to know is just to understand why the Seahawks would have done what they did. Yeah, no, I'm with you about that. Um, It was an interesting uh, Thursday night. I'll say that it was Jordan Brooks was not the name I expected to hear. If I was going to hear an inside linebacker, I, I thought it would be Patrick Queen, to be honest, just just because of how he fell that far. And obviously, he went the next pick later to the Ravens. But yeah, I mean, with in perceived needs and perceived value, uh, there was just no way for us to predict that Brooks was going to be that guy. And I, I mean, even if they did trade back, say, say five or six spots or whatever, whatever the Green Bay pick was, you know, that's that's still what it's still early for a lot of people. So it was definitely an interesting night from that perspective. Yeah, I did see one of the CBS mock drafts actually had. Queen and Brooks falling to the end of the first round, and it was the Ravens and the Packers that had uh, had both taken linebackers. So it was interesting that there was one mock draft out there that uh, I found that did have Brooks going in the first round. But let's start out by talking about Jordan Brooks' strengths. What do you think the Seahawks see in this young linebacker that made them want to take him off the board number three overall after Isaiah Simmons and Kenneth Murray of Oklahoma? Yeah, of course. Um, and this his strengths are objectively the reason why he was drafted this early, especially when you compare him to, you know, some of the other guys out there. The thing is that when you look at him, he's he's a well-built guy who consistently made a bunch of tackles and solo tackles all throughout his entire college career at Texas Tech. He's fast, he's quick to diagnose, he keys the run well, he shifts between bodies and in front of them, and he, he does a really good job at just pursuing, hunting, and seeking running backs. And while that may seem not like the sexiest pick in terms of value and in terms of what they got from him, I think there's so much upside there. So first off, you have the Seahawks who struggled to defend sweeps and screens and everything and jet motions and every, everything that the 49ers and the Rams and, and now the Cardinals will probably send their direction. And we have a guy 
like Jordan Brooks who can hunt those down and, and he can stop those. And so the way I view it is that he is a a direct result of what the what the opposing uh, conference division is offering. But on top of that, I see him as a long term solution. Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright aren't getting any younger. Uh, Wright is in the last year of his deal. And if you look at his contract, and we kind of talked about this last time. Wright is one of those guys that he may just straight up just get the boot. And it's and I know a lot of Seahawks fans are would probably be upset that I say that, but the truth is that he's very expensive. It's a ten million dollar contract. And the thing is that they have Cody Barton and Ben Kirkvin in the behind um, Jordan Brooks. And so you have a lot of talent on this team in the linebacker position. And, and maybe even if Wright doesn't get the boot this year or, or get cut this year, you have to plan for that future inevitability that somebody that Jordan Brooks will be starting or that somebody will be starting next to Bobby Wagner next year. And realistically, that's not right. And so this is what, in my opinion, in this defense, just because of how valuable this linebacker position is, I think that's why they saw Jordan Brooks. And so as I said in my film breakdown, which you can see on fieldgoals.com or my YouTube channel, what you see is a guy that just aggressively attacks downhill. He knifes between tackles. He makes really good plays in the backfield. He had 20 tackles for loss. Uh, he was used on blitzes. And he he just is really, he's, he's generally pretty fluid in space where he can just move and, and attack an open field. The one area that it seems like a lot of people didn't like him for uh, were all the pass coverage concerns and that's something that I broke down in great detail in my video that it's all due to how he changed positions. He went from an outside linebacker for his first three years in college to an inside linebacker because this team needed an inside linebacker. Dakota Allen, who was their Mike linebacker when he was a junior, uh, he graduated. And now he plays believe, for the Jaguars or the Raiders or one of those teams. And then when Matt Wells, the new head coach that took over for this team, he asked Jordan Brooks to take that spot just because he's a really good leader and he has excellent maturity and he can keep the entire defense together. So you get you get in this situation where Jordan Brooks gets put into the middle just because he can stop the run and in college it's very important and because he can blitz and help out and pressure the quarterback and help his defensive line that, frankly put, it's Texas Tech. They're not going to have the greatest amount of talent. And you get a guy, and the issue is that you're sacrificing the pass coverage ability that you saw from him in the previous years just because you need that leadership, that power, that force in the middle. And that's what people are just not understanding about this pick is that if he continued to play at that outside linebacker position from his junior to his senior year and he ran that the same 40-yard dash, which he probably would have, he would have had more coverage tape and he would be able to show you that he can actually cover. He does have his weaknesses, and we'll talk about that shortly, but he has a definite upside. And out of all their first-round picks, this is by far uh, the least aggravating in my opinion. You have the <laughs> LJ Collier. you know, I said LJ Collier, Rashad Penny, and Jermaine Effetti. I'll take Jordan Brooks over those three guys any day of the week. Well, it is funny. I was going back and looking at just some of the draft history, particularly on the defensive side. And when you go down the names on the list of first round picks on the defense, it's a pretty short list. It's Earl Thomas, Bruce Irvin, it's LJ Collier, and now Jordan Brooks. And so I was looking to into round two just to kind of fill out that list a little more. Well, your round two guys are Bobby Wagner, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed. You have Malik McDowell in there, but uh, he never even got to see the field. And then you have uh -huh. Marquise Blair. So if you consider the fact that LJ Collier and Marquise Blair, we're still waiting on those guys. They're going into year two. All the other guys either never made the field in McDowell's case or with the other guys, they've all gone on and signed lucrative second contracts. And in the case of you know, guys like Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner, third contracts. Yeah, man, I'm I'm 100% with you on that. And especially for the linebacker position to have a guy like Bobby Wagner that can be your mentor that already asked 
for Jordan Brooks's phone number on the night he got drafted to message him and start like working with him and start talking to him. I, I think he's in good hands. Like Pete, Pete Carroll will coach him up. If there's one thing that you can say about Pete Carroll is that he can coach up defensive players, especially linebackers. And you add in Bobby Wagner as a mentor. And to me, to me, this 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 pick is is already a lot better than what draft experts are are, are saying about it. Well, one of the critiques, and I was reading in PFF on their scouting reports, and it was kind of funny because it said that if it was 20 years ago, he would have been a first-round linebacker. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's take a quick break, Sam, and let's talk a little bit about those critiques coming up after the break. I'm joined by Sam Gold. He's got a video up at fieldgoals.com breaking down Jordan Brooks, the Seahawks' first-round pick, number 27 overall. The Seahawks stay put this year. Inside the first round, they don't trade back, and they get a linebacker. And I mentioned going into the break that Pro Football Focus, they said if it was 20 years ago, then a guy like Jordan Brooks would be a first-round linebacker. And I think it goes back to what you were saying before about the coverage issue and and him not really having a whole lot of tape in, in terms of his coverage ability. Yeah, and, there, and th you know, there, there is some truth to that. He is definitely a downhill-thumping linebacker. But what what they're ignoring is that he did show that he can do certain types of coverages even just the year before. I reached out to Pro Football Focus because I was curious about what they graded him the year prior versus 2018 versus 2019. And they had a much higher pass coverage grade on him in 2018 than in 2019. And so that got me thinking, and I went back and forth uh, with one of the guys there about why that was the case. And, and to me, I, I think it comes down to that responsibility, that role that he took on and what he was asked to do. And, and as I kept going through his film, I even reached out to, since I also write for The Athletic, I reached out to Dame Brugler, and me and him had a conversation about this as well, just because I was curious about why there's this disparity between a guy that was pretty good in coverage, or at least passable in coverage in 2018, is suddenly bad in coverage in 2019. Right. And as I went through the film, and you have to go back to 2018 to actually understand this, is that as an outside linebacker, he did curl flat zones. He carried up seams. He covered running backs in the flat. And then he also did spot zone coverages. And in my opinion, those spot zone coverages were the weakest part of his game, even in 2018. And the thing is that when you play Mike linebacker, the main coverage you're going to run is the spot zone coverage. So what happens is that you get in this situation where you're not covering seams, you're not covering curl flat zones, and you get in this situation where you're not being used to what you should be doing and, and to me, the fault, it goes back to Texas Tech and just not having the talent to fill that, that Mike linebacker position. And so they purposely sacrificed his ability in those other areas so that they can stuff the run and that he can QB spy and that he can, he can pressure the quarterback. And the thing is that from a college perspective, I get it. I get it, especially when uh, you need help in the middle. You need that leadership potential and that leadership ability that Jordan Brooks 100% has. But you do sacrifice that coverage ability. And the sad part is that it affected people's perception of the pick, but it doesn't affect the player. And that is my key takeaway from my film is that when I went through all said and done, I gave him an early second round grade. Mm. The past couple of years with LJ Collier, Rashad Penny, and I don't even remember grading Jermaine Effetti. I don't want to remember that. <laughs> um, the other two guys, I gave late second, early third. So with this one, this he's by far my favorite of this group. And if he was just better in spot zone coverages, there's not a single chance that he would have made it to the Seahawks pick at number 27. Well, and if you consider the fact that he is weak in that that one particular area of zone coverage, 
Do you believe that that's a talent issue or is that a coaching issue that they can coach him up on and, and he can get better at? I just don't think he knows what to do in those situations. It's it's kind of like he drops back. There's a route coming behind him and a route coming in front of him. And then he's in this island in the middle covering grass where he just doesn't know which route to take or which route to attack. And, and it puts him in this situation where there's just guys slipping behind him. There's a seam route that I showed in my video of a tight end that pushes to his left where he should have opened up his hips to the left and carried it. But instead, he just let it go by him. He turned to watch the quarterback, and the quarterback just threw a beautiful pass right over his head, and this tight end just gained like 30 yards. So it's it's one of these situations where I think it comes down to coaching, and I think it comes down to this um, basically like a self-awareness and a self-realization that like may, maybe I'm just not good at this, and then we need the coaches to get in there and basically drill it, just drill it into his head and figure out what is missing and what needs to be done. Because from my vantage point and from watching his film – he seems like a coachable player. I know you can say that about a lot of players. I know that it seems like a very intangible value. But when you watch him make mistakes in a game and then watch him immediately fix from that mistake, either run defense where he misses a gap assignment or something like that, or coverage where there was a flare route where he should have taken it, and then maybe five plays later, they throw another flare route in his direction and he takes it. To me, that's a coachable thing where it's it looks like, hey, I screwed this up, but I'll fix it next time and then we'll be good. And to me, I think if you have a Bobby Wagner sitting there and drilling him and basically saying, look, you got to do this, you got to do that, I think he has a very good chance of picking it up pretty easily. So what do you think this means for guys like KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner or maybe even Cody Barton? You know, what position do you see him playing on the Seahawks defense? It's a really good question. Um, at least to start, you know, if you're going to look at the base defense, I think the base defense looks like this. You got Bobby Wagner at Mike Linebacker. You got a KJ Wright at Will. And then you have... Jordan Brooks at Sam. That's where I kind of see this starting just because Jordan Brooks can cover tight ends. And I think he has the athleticism to do it. And then the question kind of comes down to when they go into their four two five defense, which, which is their standard nickel package. They usually go big nickel or big nickel was used a fair amount last year with kind of mostly three safeties where one safety would come up and play as like a nickel cornerback type position. The debate is would right start at that other inside linebacker spot or would Brooks. As of right now, I think it's Wright's job to lose. And while that may seem simple because it's K.J. Wright versus another player, Jordan Brooks was taken in the first round. And so it kind of makes you wonder that, I wonder how they're going to use it, how they're going to split time. Will it be, I'm going to run K.J. Wright for two or three series, and then I'll do Jordan Brooks for one, and then maybe halfway through the season get it down to 50-50? I can't, I can't tell you that answer right now. It all depends on how much he learns in terms of his the spots and coverage issues and the other issues in run defense that I covered in the video that I think once he figures those out, he'll be a really good starting linebacker. Well, one of the things we heard a lot about after the season was just, and well, even during the season was how much more base defense the Seahawks were playing throughout the year than just about any other team in the league. And I, I think it was any other team in the league and, and by quite a bit. So what does a pick of Brooks in the first round, do you think that means Pete Carroll is going to stick with kind of what he was doing similarly last year? Yeah, uh, I, I I think so. Uh, so it, I guess, and, and that kind of comes down to if 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 they are are just planning on keeping KJ Wright for the season, or I don't I don't think they'll resign KJ Wright. And honestly, I I'm kind of on the fence that I, I think they could theoretically cut him. It kind of depends on uh, with last night them cutting Justin Britt or releasing Justin Britt and DJ Fluker, um, which saved them just a little over twelve million dollars. It just makes me wonder if that twelve million dollars 
is used to free up to sign someone like Everson Griffin or Jadavian Clowney because knowing them, they made that choice for a reason. And so the question is, do you need to re-sign or potentially even just restructure KJ Wright's deal and just have him take a slightly less cap hit because um, he is getting $10 million this year. Right. Um, so it's a really good question. I, th- I think I think they do a lot of what they did last year, except for now they have Jordan Brooks, who has a very, very strong chance to help out, shut those screens, shut down those um, those stretch plays that we know the 49ers are going to run left and right. I think they'll be better at it with him on the field just because he has that blazing speed. And he. I, th- I think he will make this work. Yeah, that was one thing that came out with that news that uh, and and maybe not a shock after seeing where the Seahawks went in terms of their draft, taking in round three, the first guard off the board and signing Chance Warmack in the offseason. So they have Damian Lewis and Chance Warmack for that position. They re-signed Jordan Simmons. So it did feel like DJ Fluker could be expendable at that point. Justin Britt is a guy who's coming off of an ACL injury. So they they have those players. And then, yeah, it, it seems like they've they've set themselves up to at least uh, if a pass rusher comes available, now they can start making some of these roster cuts. And you do hope that with Britt and Fluker being cut, that that is just a larger uh, an, an omen, maybe, of them boosting up the pass rush, even though they did go and and draft two guys, one in the second round and then one in the fifth. And that's where I'm at is that does Damian Lewis start at right guard? And um, I was talking to Brady Henderson, actually, writes for ESPN, and I was talking to him about uh, Chance Warmack the other night, and he thinks that Chance Warmack is going to be is going to be the day one left guard starter on the left side, huh? Uh yeah. So because I because I, I view Damian Lewis as a right guard just because he did that in college, right? And with Chance Warmack playing the last season or two at left guard, may, maybe Chance plays left and Damian plays right, or. Or, or, or maybe or maybe Eupati plays left and Chance plays right. I'm not actually sure at this point, but I, I have a feeling that Chance will get one of those starting guard spots. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see because especially when Warmack, when he went to the Eagles and then is behind, you know, Pro Bowl, all pro right guard, Brandon Brooks. I mean, they had to if he was the more talented guy, they had to move him uh, somewhere on the offensive line that he could play and moved him over to left guard, and he did kind of struggle to stay in the lineup on that side. So it, it does seem like guys should be able to switch, but you know, maybe for a guy like Warmack, his natural position's on the right side, and that's where ultimately he's going to compete. And the Seahawks have been able to uh, start guys right away on the offensive line. Uh, if you look back to when they were starting Justin Britt right away on the offensive line, Jermaine Effetti. Uh, maybe not the optimal guys to start right away, but uh, Damian Lewis could be in competition for that spot. Agreed. 100% agreed. Well, Sam, uh, really want to thank you for coming on. If people haven't checked it out already, go to fieldgoals.com. Check out that video. You working on anything else coming up, Sam? I am kind of looking around. Uh, Darrell Taylor, the second round pick, is kind of of interest to me. Haven't fully decided if I'll do a video or not. Um, and then possibly a video on C.D. Lamb. The Cowboys took him in the first round, and his game is very exciting to me. Nice. Well, we will be looking forward to it, Sam. Appreciate you coming back on and uh, breaking down the the Seahawks' first-round pick. Of course. Thanks for having me. A big thanks once again to Samuel Gold for coming back on the show. If you want to check out his breakdown of Colby Parkinson, he came on right after the draft pick in the fourth round. So be sure and check out that along with all of our coverage over the picks. I tried to get those out as soon as I could after the draft picks were made. So all eight picks, check those out. SBNation.com slash NFL podcasts. 
to subscribe to the show and get every episode as soon as it comes out. Coming up with the next episode, I'll be looking to get back into the press conferences and hear what Pete and John had to say after day two of the NFL draft. You'll have that to look forward to coming up next. And until then, go Hawks.